Welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast for film fans by film fans. Every episode, we look at films old and new to choose what should be preserved for all time in our movie vault. With lively topics, big questions, and crazy challenges to entertain us and our guests, we always look to have fun by giving you the topics worth discussing and the movies worth watching, even if there are some duds along the way. But don't just take my word for it. Here's a preview of what to expect in today's episode. Yeah, stick them in the Shrek's adventure, stick them in the maze of insanity, which if you don't know because it got erased, is a hall of mirrors in the Shrek adventure where when I was there, a child got lost and it was implied to be a regular occurrence. <laughs> not not permanently lost, they found them like a few minutes later, but <laughs> it was long enough for me to panic that I would never leave the maze of insanity. And that kid grew up to be an article writer for The Guardian. And he vowed to have his revenge. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my post-house. Hello and welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that gives you the topics worth discussing and the movies worth watching. I am your host, David Osger, and I am joined, as ever, by our very own Layered Onion, Craig McDonald. Hello, Craig. Yep, I knew that was coming. <laughs> very good. <laughs> that's, that's all right, then. I did have a backup prepared, you know, in case, you know, cakes have layers. <laughs> in case that wasn't offensive enough. <laughs> in case you just said you didn't like onions, <laughs> I would have just come back with, cakes have layers. <laughs> All right, you twig. Anyway. How have you been? Obviously, I, I won't say the word, but it's starting to open up a bit more out there at the moment. You know, it's starting to return to normality in some ways. I mean, it's going well. Um, I have the use of my arm back, which is always nice. <laughs> Craig's had the 5G. <laughs> no. <laughs> Don't spread conspiracies for the love of God. We have a podcast. We have social responsibility. Don't put the message out there. I would hope that my joking attitude would say that I... I don't believe in that. <laughs> Recently, I don't know if you've seen this, especially because you often see memes and stuff like that. But I know you, you still haven't seen Invincible, right? I haven't, no. No. Have you seen like the Think Mark Think meme? Oh, I've seen the meme format today. I was, I was like, he must have seen this meme format. So one, that's a reason to watch Invincible. But that's also just been giving me major Craig vibes. I'm just watching it like that is Craig and me. You know, we were talking earlier about like our, our friendship. Like that's essentially Craig to me. <laughs> like just think david think so basically what you're saying is last year i mean one of your previous birthdays i got you uh our own version of the woman screaming of the cat meme so for your next birthday it's uh think david think yeah it's actually yeah great i'll tick that off the list <laughs> jot that down uh also joining us today is forget julie andrews we have our own queen of far far away it is kelly bishop hello kelly hey there loves how we doing we're doing good uh kelly as always, as expected, uh, there's a big contrast of films in your life at the moment. I've seen from your recent watches, you've had the the absolute one end of the scale, which is Promising Young Woman, and then the absolute other end of the scale, which is Scoob. <laughs> I, I just have to ask. Why did you make that? Why is that a double bill that you put yourself through? <laughs> it was actually a triple bill. I watched Promising Young Woman twice in one day. Which was quite intense on my brain. So I was like, I need something to just not think. So we did Scoob. And then, I don't know if you scrolled down a little bit further, I then watched High School Musical 1 and 2. Oh, wow, 
okay. We did the whole shebang. That's definitely a mood to get away from <laughs> the earlier feelings. No, I saw I saw Anastasia pop up there, so I thought like, oh, okay, we got some Disney stuff going on. You know, semi Disney kind of now. You know, going on as well. Yeah, I can't have anyone in my life who hasn't seen Anastasia. It's one of those films that crops up from my childhood over and over again. So inducting everyone into the the little Anastasia bubble. Well, uh, if people at home haven't guessed from, uh, you know, my introductions and just the title of the episode, today we are talking all about Shrek as it's celebrating its 20th anniversary this year. So we're going to discuss the first and second uh, movies along with their legacy. So who better to join us on this episode than somebody who has actually written a book about Shrek and about DreamWorks? It is Dr. Sam Summers. He is the associate lecturer in animation at Middlesex Uni, uh, self-titled Shrekspert, and one of the hosts of the Disneyversity podcast. Hello, Sam. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, how are you? Welcome to All Good Movies. Thank you for joining us. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm all right. It's still actually sunny outside so that's good enough for me i mean i'm inside but you know it brings the mood up a bit doesn't it? <laughs> and uh well this is kind of like your semi first time on here because of course you did uh, lend us your kind words for our theme park episode in which uh i can say that you know I'm, I'm sure i echo kelly here and saying like you know thank you for being kind to my run llama run ride and uh kelly's today land ride can't say the same maybe for Steve's Chicken Little ride, but I don't think we were going to disagree with you on that one. So thank you for giving us the gift, which was your uh, not not praiseworthy feelings of the film Chicken Little, basically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the ride concept was OK, but I do not like that movie. It's a bad movie. It's probably the worst like mainstream Disney animated feature. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> The only other possible contender for me is Dinosaur. It's it's those two, but I think Chicken Little takes it handily. If anybody wondering, this is why Steve isn't on this episode. He couldn't cope with the, the flashbacks of... <laughs> no, no, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, that, that it, was, it was great having your feedback at that time. And, and like you said, the, the ride was fun, but we were all just thinking the same thing. We were like, what, what, what are you doing, Steve? Why? <laughs> so I was just glad that you had that feedback for me to be like, okay, <laughs> I can ease us into our feelings through, uh, <laughs> through Sam's. But yeah, I, uh, I don't want anyone's feelings to be hurt apart from those involved in the production of the movie, Chicken Little, Zach Braff in particular, if he's, <laughs> if he's listening, he should be ashamed of himself, but you know, fans of the movie, that's fine. You like what you like, I guess. An early glimpse into what your future Disneyversity episode about Chicken Little will be. Can't be like. wait. Can't wait. <laughs> and interesting you mentioned Dinosaur actually because that one's it's like different with the UK and US actually isn't it like in terms of the list. Oh uh, that's yeah so that's a whole other can of worms. I'm sorry I should have opened it. <laughs> D- Dinosaur when it came out was not part of the it wasn't like a numbered Disney animated classic or whatever they call it because it was CGI. So they were mm. like, oh, this is the, the numbers are just for the 2D hand drawn movies. But then when they made Chicken Little, I think they retroactively thought, oh, well, we can incorporate Dinosaur. But then in the, actually, I think Dinosaur is in both the US and the UK lists. The discrepancy is that in the US, they have the Winnie the Pooh sequel from yeah. 2011 and instead in the uk we have the wild which is a massive disparity in quality you know like 
there's various reasons I'm glad that I live in the UK versus the US, but the wild being in the Disney Canon box set is not one of them. Yeah, that 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 on my shelf when I was trying to collect all the films, I'm always just like looking at the, that one, just like, why are you there? Why? <laughs> yeah, I like I would give up my socialized healthcare and relative safety from gun violence just to get Winnie the Pooh back in that box set. <laughs> As I mentioned before, I should uh, clarify, uh, you've written a book about uh, Shrek. It's more of a, an academic text, so more for your sort of like students, people who do in film theory, animation, as as you teach. Uh, so it's called DreamWorks Animation, Intertextuality and Aesthetics in Shrek and Beyond. So yeah, Sam, tell us all about uh, this book, which like I said, will perfectly justify why you're on today's episode. Uh, yeah, so the main premise of the book is that DreamWorks and in particular the movie Shrek made like a really decisive intervention into the history of the animated feature and obviously the computer animated feature in particular through their use of intertextual techniques, things like casting very famous film stars, things like uh, jokes that reference pop culture, uh, using well-known pop songs on the soundtrack and stuff like that, and playing very overtly with genre as well. So if you look at the history of the mainstream American animated feature, you can see bits of these kinds of techniques popping up most prominently in something like Aladdin, maybe. But the idea of the book is that because DreamWorks and especially Shrek became so, so popular at an early period in the evolution of the computer animated feature that that ended up codifying people's assumptions around what the computer animated feature could be and led to those aesthetic techniques being taken on by all the other new computer animation studios that were popping up. And most of the book is analysing the use of those techniques in DreamWorks' films. Yes, it's definitely an interesting one when you, like you said, especially when you look at it years later. And, you know, even at the time, I think even as like a kid and stuff, you watch Shrek being like, oh, you know, like because Disney was such a big thing, part of your childhood, etc. So from that vein, especially because you do um, a Disney podcast as well. So did you approach it more of a find it interesting how DreamWorks is, you know, the opposite to Disney, or do you sort of have a big history with the DreamWorks films as well? You know, what's your relationship with Disney and and DreamWorks in that way of sort of memories, childhood, that kind of stuff? Oh, I mean, that's an interesting question. Yeah, I I think I I was just the right age for Shrek when it came out. I was born in 92, and I'll be asking you guys when you were born later, because I think that's really important to your relationship with Shrek. But um, I was born in 92, which means that I was nine when Shrek came out, which is perfect. But it also means I was a little bit too old by the time we got to that next wave, like Shark Tale, like Kung Fu Panda and Over the Hedge and stuff like that, that kind mm. of later wave in the mid to late noughties of DreamWorks movies. So I was much more a Disney kid and like a Pixar kid as well. And those movies are more consistent, especially the ones that I grew up with, like the first wave of Pixar movies and the like Disney 90s Renaissance movies. They are better than <laughs> DreamWorks' output, like overall, film for film, 100%, right? Mm. Um, but well one of the reasons why the book is about DreamWorks is because it's based on my PhD thesis as many first academic books are they're based on the person's PhD thesis because you basically have to write a book to get a PhD and for your PhD you have to make an original contribution to knowledge so basically you have to be studying something that's never been studied before 
So it was, all right, okay, boom, let's do this because there's loads of stuff out there on Disney, loads of stuff out there on Pixar, very, very little out there on DreamWorks and certainly not a full study of every film that they've made, comparing them to each other and looking at what they brought to animation that no one else was bringing to the table. So that's kind of why it was, I found the niche and that was a while ago and I'm still in the niche. (laughs) When did I start my PhD? That was like 2014, I think. Yeah. So I'm, I'm still, what, six years later, I'm still in the niche. (laughs) I'm hoping (laughs) to put a cap on Shrek with the anniversary year. (laughs) I've got a few other Shrek related projects for later in the year coming up and then after that um it's like no shrek is i'm I'm over with shrek i've said everything i can say about (laughs) yeah isn't it like are you doing like a symposium on it as well it's like so there's a lot yeah a lot of shrek we're just adding to that list now (laughs) yeah we're doing an online i'm organizing an online symposium which is sort of a a symposium which normally happens in person is a Mm. conference where different academics come from all over and present on a particular topic and um often the papers from a symposium get compiled into a book as well which is what i'm hoping to do so that'll be the last thing on shrek will be this compilation of shrek essays from other authors that i'm hoping to put together um so look out for that if you follow me on twitter you'll get details of the shrek symposium because i'm hoping to make it fairly publicly accessible since it's online so if that's something that sounds fun or if you'd like if you're an academic and you'd like to present at the shrek conference then yeah drop me an email yeah, exactly. Like I said, if uh, if you're writing, you know, a dissertation on Shrek or anything, perfect time to like go, you know, get get the book and uh, join the symposium. Because because on Twitter as well, like your picture on there. So does it mean? Did you have to like go through like Home and Boss Baby and everything in terms of watching those, comparing them? Yeah, yeah, I've seen every single one. So yeah, my profile picture on Twitter is me with the book lying on a bed of dvds it's every dvd of a dreamworks movie which i own i I, I stopped after the phd so i I don't have i've seen kung fu panda 3 but i never bought it and i haven't seen abominable yet which they brought out a couple of years ago i think that's the only one i haven't seen but i saw i dropped 16 quid to watch trolls world tour when that came out at the start Uh, of the pandemic one of those So I was saying about the wild being on my shelf earlier. So, but there must be a few DreamWorks ones on yours, which you're just like, oh, why is that there? <laughs> oh, it's worse than that, man. My my DVD shelf is. I'm just looking at it right now. It's next to where I am. It's like pushing like 400 animation DVDs. Like I've just got everything that's ever been released. Yeah, there's there's some rough stuff <laughs> on that on that shelf. I'll tell you, DreamWorks is not the worst of it. <laughs> well respect to that respect to that like yeah because yeah thinking back as some of them like I said there's loads i haven't seen but i remember like trying to watch like peabody and sherman and i was like i i can't do this i just like, turned it off and that's not any of the worst what's the worst shark tale's the worst shark tale is the worst shrek 3 is exceedingly poor well i, I don't like boss baby very much i don't like his attitude i don't like what he represents <laughs> home is okay a b movie is an interesting one like oh, you've yeah. got to watch B movie. That's that's like I always say that I give that question mark out of ten because <laughs> it's like it's very unique and at times very funny, but um it's 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 not great. <laughs> it's it's a weird one, it's hard to evaluate. So I have never seen the B movie. I have, however, read the entire script. because uh, because uh, a friend of mine uh had some friends get on a Facebook and as a joke they posted the entire script of the B movie as a status. 
and I was on the bus coming home from London, so I thought I might as well just read this. It was a wild script. <laughs> that became that became a meme. Yeah, I've got that on a t-shirt actually, or I used to, because it, it, it's very in a very very small font. So it, when you've had the t-shirt and you've washed it a few times, it becomes unreadable. But um, I, I do have that on a t-shirt somewhere. You need to watch B movie, and then you need to watch B movie the DVD commentary, which is wild because it was written by and starring and produced by Jerry Seinfeld, and it's it's Jerry Seinfeld. And some of the like the directors, the people who actually worked on the movie, and like one of Jerry Seinfeld's like old writer buddies, like not Larry David, but a Larry David kind of guy, just like this grouchy old New York Jewish guy. And um, they've never seen the finished movie before. <laughs> Seinfeld and his mates, so they're constantly saying things like, "There's a lot more orange here than I was expecting. Why is it so orange? Couldn't you find another color?" And it's just really awkward with the. <laughs> The animators sitting there with them watching it. So that's one of my favorite DVD commentaries. I think I think all I've seen is just those like videos and memes you get of like the B movie being weird as hell for nearly eight minutes straight and things like that. Which you're just watching it and you're just watching the deterioration of the planet because the bees are no longer making honey, etc. The bee falls in love with a human woman. Like the bee has a human love and arrest, and we never explore the physical implications of that but it's 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 suggested it's hinted at <laughs> kelly have you ever seen a bee and thought you know what <laughs> maybe absolutely not <laughs> well i have looked at bees before and thought have they sued the human race <laughs> who knows because that's like the weirdest like the relationship with the lady is weird <laughs> them just deciding not to make honey anymore weird mm. him actually going to court and suing the human race <laughs> is possibly like just the icing on the cake yeah you might be thinking this sounds like four different movies and that's what it, <laughs> it watches is. like as well yeah there's a whole courtroom drama just segment in the middle of it, it turns into a few good men for a minute it's bizarre i also just remember seeing footage of it, there's also a b larry king and they point and they point out they also have a human larry king and he's like oh, i know nothing about that i'm just b larry king what is what's going on? I write about that at length at some length in the book actually, B. Larry King. And he always <laughs> pops up in my lectures because it's that's something that's interesting to me because that's a trope that DreamWorks brought in with Shrek 2 and with Shark Tale, like versions of celebrities that fit into the world of that movie. So you've got like mm. in Shark Tale, you've got Katie Current, who is like Katie Current, she's like the newsreader. And the B movie be larry king it's almost a parody of that because they actually bring it up and he's like oh you know we have a larry king in the human role as well he has the same glasses as you he hosts a talk show and all of that and and be larry king's like i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> and it's it's very metatextual it's like making fun of a trope that the same studio was doing and really drawing attention to it so that is an example of using famous film stars in your movie jumped out to me as a significant one Apart from the B-movie, our main uh, topic today is talking about Shrek, as I mentioned, uh, because it's got its 20th anniversary. As you can tell there from, you know, Sam, etc., we've, you know, got the right people on board to join us today. It premiered on April 22nd of 2001. Uh, It's adapted actually from a 1990 picture book of the same name, uh, but it took them all the way till 2001 to adapt it. And yeah, this is, like Sam said, this is one of the first sort of, you know, big, 3d dreamworks movies and which really sort of like kicked off the entire slew of films that they would later get and sort of made that sort of formula that they would sort of carry on 
as well as being very so much a parody and referencing the Disney films, which was quite unique at the time. It was a massive film, has a lot in terms of my memories, as Sam said, you know, because I think that's why it's interesting in terms of like a generational thing. It is almost like Disney as well of, you know, when did you grow up with it? How did you experience it, etc. So I know for me, there's some very embedded memories of both Shrek and Shrek 2. Uh, but, but talking about the first film, uh, first off, like, you know, Kelly, what, what were your, you know, experiences or first thoughts of Shrek? You know, how, how do you think it holds up? See, it's been on ITV a lot over sort of Easter weekend. So I caught both Shrek and Shrek 2, sort of almost back to back, separate days. And I just really realised how much I remember of it. Like I've just, there's so much of it that just is so quotable. Mm. And you get to a bit and you're like, oh, it's this bit. And it's almost sort of ingrained in the back of my head of like, this is Shrek and I know all of it. And you then see things in like later films or even like just later in the, the series of films where you're just like, oh, that comes from the first one. I can't remember when I first saw it. That's the thing. I feel like I've always known Shrek, <laughs> which is bizarre. I was born in 95, so I sort of grew up I was around the right time for both. So I've just, they almost merge one and two, but one is particular, like I know most of it off the back of my hand. Yeah, I think that's, for me, it's got such big memories in terms of, I'm not sure if like Craig had a similar experience, but I always remember as one, you know, it was one of those films that loads of kids were going to see and quoting and talking about in class and sort of saying the lines from, but I always specifically remember it as well as, when you had like school shows and stuff like for my school you'd have like the year six would be the cast and like every other year would be just the kids who come on do a song and walk out and Shrek was one of the films they put on when I was in like year three that we watched before we went on stage and it was basically just a class of 30 kids just reciting the film just everyone just going like not the gumdrop buttons just saying the entire film it was a really bizarre experience that just everyone was talking along to the film so I always remember that experience and because it is one of those films you just see over and over again but then somehow it doesn't become old yeah I definitely share in similar experiences not as specific as waiting to go on stage at a school show but I definitely my my vivid memories of watching the first Shrek are in are in like a school hall which where your assemblies would be just sort of watch watching it there with the class I'm pretty sure that's actually the first time where I saw it and then they then encouraged my parents to let me just rent it because, uh, you know, video rental used to be a thing. Yeah, I uh, to clarify, I was also 92, March 92. 92. And when were you born, David? Uh, December 91. All right, okay. So you guys are closer to me in age. So you guys will have been well familiar with the Disney Renaissance yeah, movies, right? Kelly... What, did you see a bunch of those movies before you saw Shrek? Like you knew what Shrek was yeah. parodying when you went in? Yeah. I was I was brought up, I have like a massive Disney VHS selection and it was just all of like the classic. So, so I knew all the princess tropes going into Shrek, which I think helped there. Because what really interests me is like people who, like my students who I teach now, like people who started university this year are younger than Shrek, right? Like t- by two years younger than Shrek. So mm-hmm. I really want, I, I really relish the opinions of people who saw Shrek before they saw any of what Shrek 
was targeting because I think it's so important to how big a deal that movie was when it came out that it came out at the tail end of this long stretch of absolute aesthetic dominance of the whole industry by not just one company but by one very specific kind of movie this like fairy tale musical and you start to get all these other studios doing it as well diluting the formula a bit you got we talked you mentioned anastasia early so that's one from fox you had um can't remember who distributed it but the swan princess and there was a uh, quest for camelot by warner brothers like all of these disney renaissance knockoffs and everyone was so sick of it and shrek was such it felt like a breath of fresh air even to me as a kid who loved those movies it was like oh man screw you my favorite movie of all time, The Lion King. It's Shrek time. This is where it's at. So, uh, I'm interested in how it, how people receive the movie Shrek if they've never seen any of those movies, which is the case for a generation of, of young adults now. Because as well, Shrek's very smart because it's specifically designed to parody something that all kids know. Whereas Shark Tale, which this is in the book, Shark Tale a couple of years later, that the whole pitch for that was this is Shrek, but for mob movies. This is doing for mob movies what Shrek did for fairy tales. It's like, yeah, you know what kids love fairy tales. You know what kids have never seen before mob movies. Mm-hmm. Like you're doing a, a a Godfather parody for kids. That's gonna, it's not gonna land, man. And it yeah, didn't. Why, yeah, why are you encouraging children to get into mob? mob movies early absolutely it's not video games we need to be worried about it's shark tale <laughs> <laughs> yeah well the italian american anti-defamation league were very worried about it as well because they were like you can put these stereotypes in movies for adults but it's weird to be teaching kids that all italians are gangsters so did was this somebody at dreamworks literally just went you know that saying sleeping with the fishes let's just make a film about that and like is that how they sold it they were just like yeah and they were like wait wait we we need one more part of this will smith sold you know <laughs> had, it was will smith robert de niro martin scorsese was in the movie yeah. one of his only acting roles <laughs> and the fish looked just like the characters that's a freaky movie man mm. it's 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 very strange one yeah the, i always see the martin scorsese when people say like this is how he should get his oscar and stuff and they show the picture of his character from that film that was that makes me laugh. Martin Scorsese is saying like, oh, you know, Marvel movies, they ain't cinema. And it's like, what? <laughs> is he, did he watch Shark Tale? Was Shark Tale cinema? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty bizarre. So Sam, can you, can you like separate Shrek like from, because we've like studied it so much. Can you, you separate it in terms of watching it as a fan or like somebody who grew up with it then having studied it so much? I mean, I can remember being a fan. I can remember being a kid and watching it all the time. Like I did have it on video. I went and see it in the cinema when it came out. I had a big Shrek poster, actually, above, actually above my bed. Like <laughs> I've never said that out loud before. I've never really thought about that. But when I went to bed at night, I would look up at the ceiling and there were, it was like a sloped ceiling. I would oh, okay. look up and there would be Shrek and, and all the guys, um, Donkey, Fiona, Lord Farquaad, Dragon, the whole gang. Yeah. And I think like everybody, when you get to be a teenager, you start putting away childish things. You're like, oh, I don't want, I don't care about these movies anymore. I like cool stuff like, um, God, what did I watch when I was like, like X-Men or whatever, you know, like, like, yeah, well, yeah, Blade. That was the, I think that was the first 18 certificate movie I ever watched was Blade. And it still absolutely slaps. Definitely now 
I'm not going to stick on Shrek for pleasure for a while. I, I haven't even watched it loads. I didn't even watch it loads for the PhD. I watched it maybe twice and once with the commentary, like throughout the whole period of writing the PhD and then the book. But yeah, I don't, it's, to be honest, it's not just Shrek. It's that whole genre of like mainstream kids CG movies. And I still watch a new one whenever it comes out for like research purposes. I need to keep up with it. But I think even like some of the more recent Pixar's, I've just kind of lost my ability to be surprised by these movies and like to enjoy them because I've seen some, I've seen literally every single one that's ever been made by any studio and I'm a bit burned out on it, unfortunately. I watch so many animated movies from like all over the world, all throughout history and you always can still find a movie that does something that you've never seen before and gives you that hit. And now I'm just like chasing it, like like the next hit, you know? Like I need, I need to see another movie that does something I've never seen before. Oh, The Mitchells versus The Machines on Netflix. Give me that, give me that, give me that. That's a great yeah. movie, by the way. <laughs> if you haven't seen that, watch that. Yeah, no, I've seen loads of hype around it. I haven't got to it yet. But yeah, I, I know what you mean because I know with the Oscars, again, as much as I appreciated Soul visually and how much it was doing in terms of like music and all that kind of stuff, I was kind of rooting for Wolf Walkers because I was like, I'm sick of Pixar just always getting it because it's just the, the done thing. And I was like, whereas Wolf Walkers looks really visually different, you know, that kind of hand drawn style, etc. So, yeah, I think the, you know, the repetition within animation is quite a stumbling block. And that's why it's interesting with DreamWorks, because like you said, there's such a mixed bag of like you look at the different films in which they've gone like, oh, well, this worked for Shrek. And, you know, so you get a lot of varying types of of dreamworks films unfortunately do you sort of like rate shrek as like a film then you know like how like how you know what do you think of it like as you know do you think it is up there with the likes of toy story etc you know i don't think it is I, it wouldn't rank really highly it, like it wouldn't be maybe the top six or seven Pixar movies, maybe even top ten. I'd need to think about this properly, but it wouldn't it wouldn't like crack the top echelon of Pixar movies. It's a really well written movie, I will say. It's a very well like scripted and paced movie. It's like perfect three act structure if that's what you're going for. It does that really really well. It's very tight. There's not much baggage, which I guess we'll compare one and two later on. But that's something that two doesn't exactly have. One is really really tight. And it's funny, but, you know, the millionth time that you see it, the jokes obviously wear off. I think it's good. Like, I think it, you would give it four stars, I think. I think if you say it's less than four stars, you are mistaken. You've, you've kind of bought into the air, uh, the hype backlash on that because it is. And it is important. You can't get away from that. It's important. Yeah, for me, like rewatching it as well is because I was so familiar with it, like we've all said about those moments that we've seen throughout our childhood and throughout our lives. So in a way, this was the first time I'd sort of rewatched it properly in years without it just being in fleeting glimpses on television, etc. So I was surprised how much I did enjoy it, but in the same way that you do with the Disney film in, in terms of, like you know exactly what you're in for. I felt that a lot of the jokes still worked, but again, it might be just sort of like my nostalgia getting in the way. Uh, but that's what I was interested in when we were saying earlier about like if if you went through that Disney Renaissance era, etc. But it's also within this and the second film, loads of movie references like The Matrix, Lord of the Rings, which are really specific to that time period as well. So that's, I guess, even more interesting if then people who grown up after those movies have come out, whether they would get those references or sort of like dig the film 
just as much uh, for that. What about you guys, like Kelly? What What do you think of it as just like an actual film? Like, do you think it, you know, is it, it is up there with like the best of animation, or do you think it is still like other DreamWorks ones in which it's just still mediocre or or great? I I think from a nostalgia perspective, if I was to look at like the films that like eight year old me really loved, it would be up there. But if I'm looking at it critically and I'm thinking about, okay, the standard that Pixar release, even if they're sort of starting to get a little bit like, you know, what's coming, they're still very well-made movies. And I think I agree with Sam as in, it doesn't really come almost close to those top 10 of like your favorite Pixar Disney movies. I don't even think it's my favorite of the DreamWorks. I really don't because How to Train Your Dragon's up there for me. It's like what I love from DreamWorks. It's It doesn't quite sit exactly the same as those. But from a nostalgia perspective, I every time I feel a little bit down, a little bit glum, I'm like, I can put Shrek on and I'll be happy. I mean, I just also just, for me, I just like the more experimental nature of the humor more than anything i think this is something that if you're only looking at it from like a humor perspective and like what they do with the jokes and the background details one of my favorite things to do as well is just over time just learning more and more about like hidden background detailed jokes that people would have initially missed out on like like what happened to mama bear like what the hell that is just beautifully dark but kind of funny yeah, no, I enjoy. I definitely enjoyed it. Uh, enjoyed it for that, but also looking back on it, some uh, some of the humor, because it's you know still trying to find like its groove is sort of subdued, uh, subdued on the ground, so it never le- goes into utter realms of ridiculousness to the point of it just doesn't fit. So, I, it definitely it definitely works well for like the story on on those grounds. Um, an interesting comparison against Shrek Two and how I sort of view that movie. But yeah, no, I still, I still really enjoy Shrek, even if ITV and BBC have like an absolute desire to ensure that I can see it at any given time of any given holiday. Considering before, I can't remember which Christmas it was, but there was literally a Christmas where Shrek was on BBC One, Shrek 2 was on BBC Three, and then Shrek 3 was coming up later on BBC Three. It's like when Prince Philip died. It's a, t- it's a total Shrek. It's like Shrek. Is Shrek died because it's all that's on the BBC. Oh no! Like the only death in that film would have been Fiona's father. Is that is that their equivalent of Prince Philip? <laughs> Just uh, Shrek the halls perfectly timed for that time of year as well. Oh, God, I'm, I'm not even. I, one of my vivid memories of like the spin-offs is like the Halloween one, where you know they have that uh, that set which is like the intro to. Essentially, their version of it's a small world after all, like the introduction to Dulock. Yeah, and like in this Halloween special, like they they play that, but like all the characters are melting and just the sounds are horrific, and it's just there like, and just donkeys there horrified. And Shrek's like, "Wow, let's do that again!" No, so I have vivid memories of that. But In, in one of the Halloween specials, they did a full parody of like the michael jackson thriller video oh, and Jesus. all of the um all of the deceased like characters from the shrek universe come back to life as zombies and start so you've got like farquad and like the fairy godmother and like the the frog king come back to life and they're all doing the thriller dance and um this 
year I was doing my Shrek lecture and this one actually was in person not many kids in this room not many students but um i did just start the lecture by playing the shrek thriller video in full because i'm like look it's halloween let's let's get the party started and then we did a little bit of an analysis of it mm-hmm. but uh yeah i thought that opportunity could not be passed up i i didn't know if i was getting confused with toy story tips they did a halloween one like as they did that whole uh toy story of terror but yeah and apparently there was several as, as you guys have uh pointed out so yeah i i, I for, just forgot how how much they rinsed that franchise i couldn't tell you uh, what the hell they're called but they do exist yeah it's called scared shrekless oh of God. course <laughs> who would imagine having such an awful shrek pun jesus christ <laughs> uh but yeah like in terms of like the original movie as well i think again despite like nostalgia and stuff like a lot of the jokes for me i think are nostalgia based so say the gingerbread man scene or you know with the whole muffin man like that is a really clever joke it's really good and it's played really well by you know john lithgow etc but also at the same time it's hard for me to judge purely because i always remember that my parents found that joke really funny as well so i always remember even as a kid being like oh well this film must be funny even my parents are laughing at it you know back in the days in which you're like forcing them to watch things like rugrats and they're like why do we have to watch this you know so if it was a film that you know did appeal to adults and and children but like I said, even just like the the subtle things like Craig was saying about, you know, with the, you know, the mama bear, but also just funny moments in terms of like Shrek's frustration and his anger. Like at the start when you have all the, the fairy tale creatures in his swamp. And I just love how he says that he's going to get them all out of the swamp. And then those doves just bring in like the flower cape. I don't know why. It was just something about that, which is just a really subtle moment. But I just liked it for how it was just playing with the genre but not being too on the nose of like hey here's some dwarfs here's uh you know the dead broad on the table as as shrek calls her so i i do appreciate a lot of those moments i like like donkey i think he is a really indian character i think that he is bordering when he can get annoying but more so in the sequels whereas here you know i really did gravitate towards like when they're in the forest and he sings that song where he's just like, you gotta have friends. I'm not sure about you guys, but apparently, like, when I had it, when it was on VHS, etc., it just played as the, you know, he just sung that. But for since, for some reason, they've put, like, a backing track behind that moment, like an orchestral backing track. So it kind of plays funnier because it gets interrupted by Shrek. So then the orchestra kind of, like, gets all, like, in a kerfuffle. But it's just weird every time I watch it because I'm always just like, whoa, where's this come from? I need to rewatch that. I don't, because to be fair as well, my DVD of Shrek is, is like really, really old. So maybe I don't have the, is it like in the version on on Netflix or whatever? Yeah, I was thinking that whether it's on the Netflix version. I had it like, you, there is like a comparison, I think on YouTube or like somebody's put it on YouTube and people in the comments being like, oh, I don't remember the, the music being behind it, but... So I don't know if that made me sort of appreciate the joke a bit more because I was like, this is kind of funny. Because in a way, it's making more reference to Disney musicals of him being like, stop singing because he's literally about to go into a song and dance. I don't know. That, and, kind, uh, that kind of annoys me because I think the entire thing with Donkey is he's meant to just be like sort of casual best friend annoying, not magical mm. creature inv- invading your life sort of. Because yeah. <laughs> if you're going to do that, you'd have to do that for every instance where Donkey brings into song. 
He does you, it all the time. He does it like six times. Yeah, because you've got the you've mm. got the got to got to try a little tenderness. It's like if they put music behind that, like I will be angry because it just doesn't doesn't work. You say that that I always remember one of my other VHS videos had a, an advert for Shrek before like the film, and they put the song behind that that moment in the clip they used in the trailer. So that was like always embedded in my in brain. But like you said, it it doesn't work as well. It's just weird with it, quite frankly. I mean, I didn't know any of those songs when I was a kid, and I saw it. I don't think. I mean, I, I still don't think I've ever heard "You Gotta Have Friends." I don't think I've ever heard the original. But I think it's Bette Midler, maybe. Yeah, that I looked into it after, and yes, yeah, Bette Midler. Just it's just called Friends. <laughs> so. Obviously, Otis Red and Try Little Tenderness is a classic now. But one of the things I find really interesting is that when you watch that movie even if you don't know the references, and I think as a kid, there's loads of references you're not going to get in them, you know that it is a reference because it's very intrusive and it's very specific. Mm. It doesn't make sense that Donkey would just start improvising a song from out of nowhere that no one's ever heard before. Like You can intuit that it's meant to be a reference to something, even if you don't quite get what it is. And those songs are really significant actually because they're one of the few instances in the first shrek movie where it really breaks down the boundaries of what we think the world of an animated movie should be where it's like it's not just a song that's played it's not just all star playing over the top in the background like non-diegetically it's donkey implicitly knows the song friends Mm -hmm. by bet midler where did he write it in this universe (laughs) or did he did he like hear it somewhere did he overhear is there a like a fairy tale Ben Midler, like B. Larry King, knocking about recording songs. It's it's almost a bit like the Duloc song, isn't it? It's the fact that in a Disney film you would have like this welcome song, and then they like make a reference to they're potentially going to say ass, and you're like, you know, even as a kid again, you're like, oh my god, are they going to say it? And so it's it's almost as if then them playing with those expectations of like Disney and animation, and then even at the end you get the picture which has got their like baffled faces on it, which quite often is maybe like many adults faces watching some of these animated films and these, you know, sing-alongs and musicals, etc. And that's more explicit because that is tapping into Disney and criticizing Disney directly. And it's, it's like, it's a small world after all from Disneyland as well mm. as what that's. And loads of things about Duloc are like satirizing Disneyland. You've got the bollards as he's coming in and you've got the Farquaad mascot in his, in his mask. Yeah, I was thinking that with the Disney references with the the guy who is the Farquad head. I was thinking of Kelly, like your fear of like, you know, people in masks and stuff like that when we were talking about Disneyland and you were like scared of a potential turkey lurkey like walking around. <laughs> it also fits. It fits the whole thing of the Disney parks where the villains, I think the only one that I know of who doesn't wear like a big head is the evil stepmother from Cinderella. Mm. So, like, the villains just wear the big head. So, like, for him to have, like, this Farquaad head on makes just... It made sense in my Mm. head to be like, yeah, that's why he's dressed up. And then, like, it was only later when, like, realising that all the Disney buildings are made with weird proportions, so they look bigger. Mm, And then the idea of um, Farquaad's castle being, like, it looks so tall. Mm. They've just been like... Is it, or is that another little? I mean, obviously, it's a it's a short joke, but mm. also like, is it then that second layer of everything at Disney looks massive? But is it? Yeah, it's like a perspective. Yeah, that, that's that's quite interesting to think of. 
And uh, it's interesting that, Sam, you mentioned with the music as well, because I think in both films, again, that really stands out in terms of like, obviously it's quite pop culture to have like all this modern music. But I think what makes it different for me in the two Shrek films and why it doesn't work in their other sequels is the, especially for like, because this is partly like directed by Andrew Adamson. Uh, like he does quite a good job of this, I think, in like his Narnia films. He has like quite some nice music in there. Obviously there he's not going to play like pop music and stuff like that. But he has some kind of like nice, like acoustic kind of ethereal kind of sounding songs to fit that fantasy tone. And it's almost like here, kind of like Guardians of the Galaxy, etc. They know the song to play to put you in the vibe and the tone of that scene. So like when Donkey and Shrek are, are going on the adventure and they've got that like Proclaimer song as they're like playing over the top. And then of course you get Bad Reputation as it plays when like he's fighting in the ring and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's again why like Shrek has succeeded in that way rather than being too sort of on the nose. Um, so that, that those always stood out to me as well. And just like, I, you know, I do have to give it credit for like the emotional moments that this has in terms of, like Mike Myers, especially like at the end when he is saying about his fears and his emotions of, you know, being like, oh, it's a terrifying ogre. And like, he's sort of like really emotional about that. You see his sort of like upset when he hears Fiona and Donkey's conversation. I think all of that like really lands. And, and as you guys said before, it's because it's a really clever script. It's really well paced. You saw like introduced to the characters really effectively and, you know, you saw grow to love them. So I think in some ways, like it's, it's, it's unfortunate you don't get a bit more of like John Lithgow, but at the same time, you wouldn't want to take away from Shrek and, and Fiona and Donkey, which is kind of like more their story, because in some ways the sequel has more of a villain emphasis than than this one does. Uh, was there any other sort of standout moments to you guys or, or, or similar ones? Is it just, a, I've just had a question in my head there. Is this the best dramatic performance Mike Myers has ever given? Because I can't <laughs> think of anything that would ever... Like, you know, like Eddie Murphy's been in loads of dramas. He's in like Dolomite and Dreamgirls and stuff like that. Has Mike Myers, is this like the best, like emotional dramatic performance he's ever given? Honestly, I haven't yeah. seen Austin Powers for a while, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, like, of course, like the, the love guru, guru is probably just the bane of his life in terms of like summing up his kind of fall from popularity. So, yeah. And even, yeah, if you go on his IMDb, it's like known for Austin Powers and then the love guru. So if he's known for the love guru, that's not a good sign of whether if he has any more emotional roles. But uh, yeah, that, I think that's why it stood out to me when I was watching it. I was thinking it is quite brave of them in a way to hire Mike Myers because I was thinking it's, it's similar to Robin Williams as the genie. They were like, oh yeah, let's hire this comedic actor because they're going to be great with sort of improv, adding this voice and everything. But Robin Williams, again, had a history of being in, you know, Goodwill Hunting and these sort of more emotional movies as well. So that's why I was sort of watching it being like, oh, wow, this is actually quite impressive for Mike Myers, who doesn't have have that history. So, yeah, it, it's it is surprising. Uh, but, yeah, if you look at his IMDb, it pretty much is made up of uh, Shrek. Uh, he was in Bohemian Rhapsody, but that was a kind of an unrecognizable that's role. That's not going to his role <laughs> in that movie because... It was stupid. I think probably they got, they wanted to get away with it because they thought, well, even if like the emotional stuff doesn't hit as much, we're trying to focus mostly on this sort of groundbreaking, like new new take on the genre to the point that, let's face it, they focus much more on comedy than a lot of other animated films necessarily did in that balance. So they probably were just more happy with it in that sort of sense. 
Uh, and it just so happened that it paid off because they were able to get a lot from Mike Myers. Um, following on from what David was saying, I think one of my favorite sequences in the film, just because it also made me fall in love with the song Hallelujah, uh, was that entire sequence when Fiona then goes off to the castle and basically all the characters are like moping around. Just that entire sequence I just thought was just beautiful. Uh, which is weird because the main thing I wanted from this film was just the sort of weird comedy. So the fact that one of the major things I just remember quite vividly is that scene where I can't... Who's the singer of... Because I, I know it's not the original version, but who sings the actual version of Hallelujah in the film? Do in know? the film, I think it's John Cale. Yeah. But on the soundtrack, it's Rufus Wainwright. Yeah, that's... Okay, that's the confusion, yeah. So just the fact that they were able to get get that out as well, I just thought it was impressive. So I think that's probably my like sort of standout moment from the original. I really enjoy there's a scene after rescuing Fiona where they run through that sort of castle with the dragon mm. like following behind. I just think like it's a it's a chase scene. We've seen them many a time. But I just think that was my first moment where I was like, oh, there's some tension here. Like, There's some actual like real meat and potatoes to this. And it's something I have to be, I have to be nervous about these characters actually surviving. Because obviously in that sort of bar fight almost where you've got Shrek just fighting all the guards off to bad reputation, you're like, there's enough of this film left for him to have to go on and do this. But when you get to that dragon scene, you're like, is he going to be okay? <laughs> like, this might just be my tiny little mm-hmm. empathy brain being like, I hope everyone's okay at the end of this. Um, but I just think it was a... Because a lot of the time in the traditional Disney princess stories, it's princesses asleep. And then suddenly we're at a wedding. Yeah. You never see, like, the saving bit. I think the only other one that does it is, like, Sleeping Beauty. Mm. where you get, like, the actual saviour, like, the actual, like, we've got to fight a dragon off. So in this one, it was really nice to have that sort of refreshing take on it. Plus, you get that great cover-up for the DVD. Yeah, true. Yeah, I suppose you're kind of thrown by Fiona's feelings, almost, because you've gone outside of the trope. You're then like, oh, well, anything could happen. And like you said, there's there's a lot of fireballs, like, going around, etc. And uh, something I do, you know, quickly want to mention as well is, I do appreciate that, you know, through, I don't know about throughout the series, I've not seen all the spin-offs and stuff, but I did appreciate watching it again, thinking you could have easily made, like, dra- you know, the dragon such a, a, like, cruel joke in a way that, like, I do appreciate that they didn't handle it in a way of being like, oh, isn't this funny it's a female dragon, or isn't it funny that she's, you know, fallen for a donkey, etc. It was like, no, it was actually, like, quite a sweet, you know, romance in a way from, from the very beginning. Is that is that interspecies uh, relationships and DreamWorks coming up again? But but I appreciated that they never made Dragon like the butt of a joke, as we've seen now with many kind of like adult comedies and stuff where you watch them years later and go, ooh, you know, that doesn't work. And and it's quite of impressive that Shrek never actually went into any of those pit- uh, any other moments from yourself, Sam, for the first Shrek. I mean, you guys have have come up with some really good ones and mainly thinking about these more like dramatic mm. moments and these emotional <laughs> moments, which, you know, that is something that the movie does well. And it's probably of the Shrek movies. And we'll, there's stuff that I like about too very much, which we'll get into, but it's probably the best at that, right? It's probably the best at the emotional stuff, which the whole studio almost put to one side for a little bit until we get to 
Kung Fu Panda and How to Train Your Dragon a little bit, especially How to Train Your Dragon a little bit later on. So for me, the stuff that still stands out is the the comedy. And um, one of the other like really significant moments in that movie, well, because for me as well, I'm thinking of what are the significant bits? What are the bits that like made this really stand out? And one of them is the magic mirror doing the dating game um, with Farquaad. Uh, with the princesses and then culminating in the pina colada song and it says she likes pina coladas and getting caught in the rain and it's yeah that is one of the it's like like you it's being seeded with donkey and the songs like this idea that this is a totally porous universe that is not trying to establish itself as separate from the real world this is the most obvious example of that in the first movie it's like oh okay we're doing this we're doing total anachronism not taking this world seriously at all we can have the dating game in the middle of a fairy tale right so we'll now get on to our discussion about shrek 2 uh, just to let you guys at home know, uh, there have been a few days that have passed between us talking about the first Shrek and now talking about Shrek 2. We've had some technical problems. We'll cover that a bit more later. Uh, but for now, we want to get on to talking about this film and uh, carry on our fun discussion about the Shrek franchise. So Shrek 2 was released in 2004, directed by Andrew Adamson with Kelly Aysbury along with Conrad Vernon, uh, written by William Steig and story by Andrew Adamson. You've got Mike Myers returning as Shrek, Eddie Murphy as Donkey, Cameron Diaz as Princess Fiona, along with newcomers such as Julie Andrews as the Queen, Antonio Banderas as Puss in Boots, John Cleese as the King, and Rupert Everett as Prince Charming, along with Fairy Godmother, played by Jennifer Saunders. So, Kelly, I'll start off with yourself. What is your feelings towards Shrek 2 compared to, to the first film? I I love Shrek 2. I think it's my favorite of the bunch. It just it's that one that I think of when I think of Shrek as much as like you should think of the first one because it is the first one when it comes to like the scenes that stick in my head. It's the end of Shrek 2 where I'm, where he's riding in on Donkey and then you've got like him on the shoulder of a giant gingerbread man. No other animated film franchise has done that. And I really appreciate it. I just think it's a great time. Yeah, because I remember you saying uh, previously about that finale, because that, that's what stands out to me the most in this as well, is that while Shrek is quite a traditional sort of wrapped up, goes as you expect sort of storyline, Shrek 2 really has this great finale, even though there's lots of elements and different storylines going on throughout the film. And you kind of wonder how they're going to wrap it up, because it's only really close to like an hour and 22 minutes. So how, how do you feel about that just entire final sequence, especially as somebody who loves musicals and, you know, just music in general, you've got that amazing end song. Yeah, I was thinking about this the other day because the fairy godmother is the only character, I think, other than Donkey that sings. And she has these big musical numbers, which are very classic fairy tale. So she's using that almost as like, it's the distraction for Fiona to kiss um, Prince Charming, who's pretending to be Shrek. You've got like all of these characters coming in from different places in their own storylines to this one final culminating moment. 
with that phenomenal song, Jennifer Saunders. Who who knew she had those lungs on her? And I think it's so like that costuming as well, like that sparkly red dress, and she's on the piano. Like I just think when when you look at a film's third act and how you bring all those characters together, it's one of those where I'm just like, yep, that did it really well. Yeah, I think that's what stands out to me for Shrek 2 is that as neat and traditional as Shrek is in a way, apart from obviously it's comedy, I think that it just does everything that a sequel needs to do in terms of elevating the original story, adding a lot more stakes, a lot more characters. The characters who are added are really fun. You know, Puss in Boots, I think is, you know, great. There was a lot of chances in which that could have been a sort of tired joke or they could have sort of gone too far with it, but I think they sort of walk that line just right and even jokes like the hairball scene still sort of make me smile i think it is just a, a really funny joke and it's, it's just that timing that i think that the second film has and i as i mentioned before the soundtrack absolutely kills because you've got that song that you've mentioned in terms of holding out for a hero but also then they end it with uh living la vida loca which is really fun because you get to bring in all the different characters and even there they kind of wrap up some of the storylines within that musical number because you kind of see that the king and queen are happy as a woman and a frog <laughs> but uh even then shrek 2 almost has an end credit scene which uh was early days for those where you've got donkey uh seeing dragon and all like the the donkey dragon children which come in so yeah there's so many musical moments in this which i love and i think they were just ambitious and really willing to go for it in this film because they use you know funky town when they first arrive in a far far away you know they got the scene in which shrek is trying to get to sleep and you've literally just got a song there singing you know like i need some sleep uh at the start you know it's got the uh accidentally in love i just think that they the, the songs really match the mood you've got changes which also comes in with the david bowie that's great when shrek is transformed so i think that they really use the story to the benefit of the music and they also play about with the magic and the world and storytelling to their advantage so it's, it's quite clever in, in a way what fairy godmother does that they're like oh they've taken this potion let's make fiona think that prince charming is shrek and that's quite a clever plan and it, it leads to one of my favorite moments where the king sort of goes charming and he goes oh do you think so <laughs> and uh, he's just like it's me it's, it's it's shrek so i think there's a lot of clever moments in it and yeah there's just so many memorable moments for me uh sam what's your feelings on shrek 2 have you focused on that one as much, obviously, studying the entire Shrek universe? Is it more about the first Shrek or can you enjoy yourself a bit more with the second or does it all come together at the same time? I actually have given them both similar levels of attention in things like my book, three and four less so, but I've written on Shrek 2 at least as much as Shrek 1 because I think because, as we've discussed, Shrek 2 is a lot better bigger and it goes further than the first one in a lot of ways and part of that is a much higher density of jokes it means that there's a lot more examples in that movie of the kind of thing that have become seen as being typical of DreamWorks' approach so the celebrity voiceovers there's a lot more of them the intertextual like pop culture gags and anachronisms there's a lot more of them pop songs there's a lot more of them as well um for example Puss in Boots is a completely like intertextual character in a way that in the sense that he is totally predicated on the persona of Antonio Banderas as he was known at that point because 
these days, Antonio Banderas is probably best known for being Puss in Boots, but at the time he was best known for being Zorro. And the way that the figure of Zorro and of Banderas get woven in with this new figure of Puss in Boots in this movie, obviously these characteristics aren't something that were inherent in the original Puss in Boots fairy tale character at all, means it's a really good case study for how celebrities function in these kinds of movies. So I've, that's something I've studied at length and in general like i said the movie is so much more dense with references so part of what i did for my research on the book was count every intertextual reference in all of these movies all the little pop culture gags and and everything that pops up and the first shrek movie had something like 30 to 40 whereas shrek 2 has like 90 odds like one for every minute of screen time it's constant so it's almost like a Mel Brooks movie or like Airplane or something in that sense where the gags just keep coming and coming and coming. And maybe that's at the expense of the very neat plotting and like clarity of storytelling and and room for character development that the first one has. But I still think Shrek 2 is a better movie because of how much funnier and how much more vivid and bold it is. Yeah, I guess it's willing to sort of get on board more with its kookiness and how self-referential it is as opposed to having like you said having to sort of stick by the the general rules and be quite sort of neat and, and tidy yeah and i mean it hits some of the same notes like the morals are more or less the same be yourself stay true to yourself the original fairy tale versions of of what these characters are supposed to be aren't necessarily true or accurate or correct all of these things are being subverted again and that sense of repetition is definitely something that sets in even more with three and four which just it's just a series of midlife crises for shrek really he's just oh and this one he doesn't want to be a husband and then the next one he doesn't want to be a dad and then the one after that he doesn't he just wants to go back to being an ogre. It's, it's the same thing, really. He goes through the same arc over and over again. It's like, I just want to see him be happy with his life, man. I just want to see Shrek chill out and settle down. Yeah, it's kind of like Toy Story in that way, isn't it? They have to kind of always do the typical trope of Woody, etc. Yeah. To be fair, you do get a lot of Shrek actually being happy with his life at the beginning of this film, because obviously when they're just showing Shrek and Fiona on the, ho- on the honeymoon, it is a nice sort of slice of life sort of thing you don't usually get from fairy tales unless it's like one of the random disney straight to video sequels which are just bad you actually get to see them enjoying the and actually just being in love which is just a nice novelty for a story like this yeah that's true i do like that you get to see what happy ever after actually looks like for a little bit and you get that Count and Crows song, that oscar-nominated Count and Crows song which i do quite like not as good as all star but pretty good and it's also, Shrek is a lot more laid back in this film as well. I think previously he wouldn't have attached himself to a character like Puss in Boots. The fact that Shrek is the one who's so sympathized and drawn in by the cute look, the the big eyes that Puss in Boots does. And they even go to the detail of, you know, Shrek is holding him and Puss in Boots is still doing that face after you get the, the typical kind of close-up shot. That to me really speaks to me that, you know, Shrek has grown as a character. He's not just sort of like been rewinded back to the way he was at the start of the first film he has sort of like you know chilled out and laid back a lot more but but it was interesting thinking that for fiona i felt that i didn't know if we had as much of a character progression for her especially considering she ended the last film 
kind of concerned about her appearance and being an ogre whereas this film seemed like it was just like yep she's perfectly fine being an ogre now and she doesn't seem to have any worries about her appearance which i was kind of surprised by yeah i think fiona as a character definitely gets short shrift as the movies go on and again it's because you see the same kind of plot repeated with her over and over again because the movies are determined to make her not your typical princess like she's a bit of a badass she can do kung fu and she can uh, look out for herself and protect herself but still every single shrek movie she still needs to be rescued at the end by shrek every single one and maybe shrek 2 is the least egregious of these and shrek 3 is probably the worst but it's still present here it's like because we need Shrek to come in and save the day at the end, they don't have the courage to actually let Fiona kick the bad guy's ass in the way that they want us to believe that she can. True. I, I do always enjoy it the way she does so like chop like charming so like neck and stuff like that. That is always fun. Uh, yeah, but ultimate, like, you know, it, it's it, that's what makes that finale work is that it's a nice team effort as well. You bring in, you know, the three pigs and Pinocchio, etc. It really works in that sense as well of bringing in the other characters, tying everything together. And I, I like you were saying, Sam, I think it's surprising in terms of you were saying about Puss in Boots being a reference to Zorro. Here it feels like they had a lot more the courage to do a load of these film references. And I think that where you were talking about the impact that Shrek had as a film on animation this is definitely the example for me even when i saw it as a kid being like oh wow they're really going for the spoof nature now of like the lord of the rings reference the little mermaid reference there's so many different references within this film and they're very much more this is what we're talking about so especially with say before it was kind of disney light whereas here they're like we're literally spoofing beauty and the beast with the furniture that comes to life and you were saying kelly about jennifer swordner's having that song at the end but she also has that fairy godmother song where she does again where she almost does a disney song of saying about you know making your wishes come true and all that kind of stuff and that gets interrupted which is is interesting it's essentially bibbity bobbity boo from cinderella it's very much that i'm gonna transform you and make all your wishes come true kind of thing when it's essentially what what if cinderella didn't want all that yeah exactly what if uh, she'd give her a little dog as well <laughs> um a little prince charles as well a little <laughs> photograph of prince charles which is a nice touch oh yeah <laughs> yeah so what about uh so like just standout comedic moments so craig i know you got one in terms of their arrival in far far away oh yeah just the fact that they have an entire ceremony waiting uh to greet them and like one of them is just uh, they release a load of doves and you see them flying the sort of stereotypical way and then when you have everybody freaking out the fact that they're ogres, one of the doves just turning their head back and slamming straight into a wall and falling down dead. Um, it just gets me every single time, just because they, you have that delay of just like the splat in the wood and the cut back to them and then... Yeah, and just the, uh, when I was rewatching it as well, is the baby cry, that's just the kind of comedic timing that really makes it work as well, is when it's all silent and you hear like a baby crying in the distance. But even before that, the flipping back and forth between the conversation of ending each other's sentences with the parents and Shrek and Fiona, I think is really, really clever. And like I said, that that finale sort of gets me every time. That's a big one for me. And it's kind of what I also appreciate about this is that even though it's more referencing a lot of movies and a lot of Disney, there's still an element of existing within, within its own world because there's a lot more emphasis on the fables and the lesser known fairy tales because the fact that Puss in Boots isn't a character that is in any Disney film 
And there's a lot of characters within this which aren't, you know, they have a joke at one point when they're going up the red carpet before the, the big ball where they go, oh, it's uh, Tom Thumb and Thumbelina and they get swept into like a, a dustpan. I was just like, well, that's not really referencing anything. So I kind of appreciate that that's a joke that works on its own merits without being a reference to something else. One of the standout moments for me, one of the standout gags that I focus on a lot when I give lectures on Shrek is in the Puss in Boots, oh, it's just bef- just before the Puss in Boots sequence where Shrek and Donkey have gotten lost and they know that they're walking around in circles because Donkey goes, there's that bush that looks like Shirley Bassey. And it cuts to a bush that is shaped like the singer Shirley Bassey. And that fascinates me because it doesn't really make sense as a joke. Like it doesn't really follow any of the established rules of comedy. Like if you read like the history of of comedy theory and why people laugh at things that doesn't fit into anybody's conception of how that works but it is still funny because it's like who's the butt of the joke here what's being made fun of what's being laughed at is it a the joke isn't that shirley bassey looks like a bush you know what i mean there's no connection there it's not like when they're talking about a handsome prince and then they show a picture of prince charles because that's ironic no offense to prince charles shirley bassey's bush so to speak, doesn't doesn't fit into that. So my theory is that that is part of this wider mockery of the idea of a coherent animated world. It's the idea that, okay, so yeah, this is a movie that's got far, far away, but it's basically Hollywood and it's got TV shows and it's got like entertainment reporters and things. And also Donkey knows who Shirley Bassey is for literally no reason. Don't try and think about it too hard. It's just making us laugh because it's it's holding up this kind of movie, this fairy tale movie, which we expect to be fairly straightforward and self-contained based on what we know from Disney and constantly poking at that and pushing through that fourth wall. Shrek 2, you know, is a film that we've already saw celebrated and put into the movie vault when we were talking about DreamWorks in a previous episode. We were saying how it's a good example of an animated sequel and it stands out as one of the overall DreamWorks films. Uh, But because this is, you know, our place in which we saw celebrate films that should be looked at in terms of a historical point of view and an enjoyment or quality uh, aspect, you know, would you agree then, Sam, that the first Shrek also needs to go in because of what it's done in terms of influencing animation, as well as just being, you know, a, a good watch as well? I think so. I think it's very culturally significant, and it is fun enough to to rewatch. Like people still enjoy watching it. I mean, I'd be interested to know what, like, a Gen Z kid who maybe didn't grow up with it, thought watching it for the first time and also being a generation removed from most of the pop culture references there. And with the added baggage of mainly known Shrek from the internet memes, which don't necessarily always reflect his character accurately. I think Shrek could definitely sue some of those guys for defamation based on the things that they have them doing in some of these internet memes, right? So if that's where you're coming to it from, I don't know how much you would enjoy the movie. Younger children have been raised on a diet of very postmodern comedy, which has been created by a generation of people who did grow up on things like Shrek and on The Simpsons and on SpongeBob. So maybe a kid today wouldn't see Shrek as being as radical as we saw it when we were younger. But... Yeah, so I don't know if you could say that it would be an objective success for anybody, but I think it it's I think it holds together very well. 
Scott Tobias of The Guardian would disagree. <laughs> Damn it, I was literally about to make that joke. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so into the movie vault goes uh, the first Shrek uh, joining Shrek 2 in there. Yes, hopefully in the future, perhaps we'll talk um, more about the third and fourth film but for now usually this would be the section in which we have our end game but as i mentioned earlier we've had some technical uh, issues with this episode uh, so we are now here after our end game many days later and we can only reflect on on the end game because we don't want to put our guests or even myself you know spoiler guys i was uh, in the end game uh, I, I i i flew the entire thing i i didn't need kelly at all i, I was just that good no i'm joking um okay i'm gonna take o- uh, as this is my segment i'm gonna to take this over now because david's talking too much <laughs> craig could be the so, storyteller st- storybook opens <laughs> far far away <laughs> yeah so i i want it known that uh i've had to break a couple of walls in my house out of frustration <laughs> of what happened to this end game purely because this was one of the most imaginative end games uh that i had planned and even on the day itself it didn't completely go to plan because uh, usually, after the movie vault, everyone would shut up and then I would take over. But no, instead, David was like, let's talk about extra things to do with Shrek. So we had uh, Kelly was telling us about the wonderful but creepy uh, Shrek the musical, uh, which then came up loads of times in a musical quiz I did Tuesdays later. Haunting. Uh, we heard about uh, what was the attraction you were telling us about, Sam? The um... uh, Shrek's Adventure on the South Bank. Yeah. So we were hearing it's about Shrek. Complete nightmare world. <laughs> We were hearing about that, and then we were talking about the DVD extras on uh, such as uh, Far Far Away Idol, and what nobody knew uh, that the end game was going to be based off of uh, Shrek in the Swamp Karaoke Dance Party. Now, the best setup to an end game we ever had, because before anyone knew that this end game was going to be about that, Sam was very confidently saying, "I can remember every song <laughs> in in that feature," didn't you, Sam? Yeah, I was fairly confident that I could, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um spoiler, he he did not. Um at that point, he's 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 listing off every song uh except for one. And David and Kelly just sat there just like, wow, this is impressive, but in the back of their minds going, I think there's one more that has not been mentioned. Ah, I'm not gonna mention it, it doesn't I'm sure it won't be relevant. Um and then the end game comes up, which is I was going to show them uh the entirety of uh Shrek in the Swamp. Uh, and they were going to ask uh, answer observational questions on it. But given that that happened, I did it the other way around. I got them to answer the questions first, and then we watch it as a reveal. Yeah, so I'll hand over to you guys now. Um... So I didn't get them all. <laughs> <laughs> like a classic Disney villain, I was undone by my own arrogance and forgot, I believe, who let the dogs out. It was indeed. Because you know what? We got you monologuing. And you gave us the answers, bar one. And my brain was just like, yep, that's it. So we literally did an Incredibles. We got, you know, like, syndrome. You got me, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you sly dog. Unbelievable. So I've now got those tattooed on my hand. <laughs> so for anyone who wants to try and play along, the five questions that we asked were this. Which character is DJing throughout the entire, uh, the entire dance party? What instruments are the seven dwarves playing in the background? What is the name of the executioner? A true or false? Mama Bear doesn't appear in the entire thing at all because she's in fact been turned into one of Lord Farquaad's rugs. 
And then finally, how many songs feature in the dance party in total? Bonus point if you can say the name of the song and who is singing it. Um, in the end, these final scores were a, uh, were a triumphant 20 points to Sam and David and Kelly having 23. I would say that we put David and Kelly together as a team against Sam on his own because of the idea of uh, power balance. You know, Sam being an absolute expert on Shrek to the point that even outside of this, I've seen his name popping up on my Facebook news feed every now and uh, every now and then, which has been a cool sensation, even if you've had to be, you know, doing the good fight and fighting off idiots in their moronic views on films. Uh, against David and Kelly is more of a or of a balance. And because of uh because of that, as well as what was the other question that you you got? I think it was the Mama Bear one I got wrong. Oh, and then and, and then we got the dwarfs wrong as well. Oh no, that's it. Because they because they had the correct number of songs, and then oh, they also right. so that's two your bonus extra point. points. That's what got. That's where they got the free. So everything else was even. So it was literally that one song. Um, it was a it was a great moment that no one will be able to hear. <laughs> There's got to be some. Uh, I'm thinking of like you know Disney's. You know we're talking about animation and you know Disney ripoffs, etc. You know is is it like Disney's gigantic or something? It's like if you wanted to see that film, then it's lost for the ages. It's like this Endgame. If you wanted to hear that, if that sounded fun. Sorry guys, it's gone. <laughs> I don't know Sam. Is there another animation project that's more relevant? I was just thinking of the uh, the scene from The Simpsons where. Bart and Lisa like miss an itchy and scratchy cartoon, and then they turn it on, and Krusty's going, "Wow, they'll never let us show that again, not in a million years." Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's how that's how Craig should have uh, started this uh, this end game segment. I'm just I'm just trying to think. At least the format of this game is one that I can just use for an end game special because nobody will have done it. And now, and for anyone who hasn't listened to this episode, which spoiler, a lot of our guests don't tend to actually listen to our podcast because. They're kind of traitorous like that. Um, <laughs> it would at least come off as novel. <laughs> very true, very true. Uh, well, yeah, it, it was a fun end game, guys. Regardless, it was still like you know, it was one of those lockdown quizzes when we we still had fun with it. But you know, I guess not all lockdown quizzes were broadcast to everybody, so it, we we still have the memories and we're still able to tell everyone about it. And like I said, we're able to come back together a few days later when there's been more discourse about Shrek. If people don't know, there's been that Guardian article that we referenced earlier, uh, which says the Shrek isn't funny. And which I, I also tweeted about, you know, we were talking earlier about the Shrek spinoffs, you know, what, what must that guy think about, you know, Shrek the Halls and uh, Scared Shrekless. Yeah, stick him in the Shrek's adventure, stick him in the maze of insanity, which if you don't know, because it got erased, is <laughs> yeah. a hall of mirrors in the Shrek adventure where when I was there, a child got lost and it was implied to be a regular occurrence. Oh, God. <laughs> Not not permanently lost. They found them like a few minutes later, but <laughs> it was long enough for me to panic that I would never leave the maze of insanity. And that kid grew up to be an article writer for The Guardian, and he vowed to have his revenge. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> But Sam, you've you've kind of you know responded to that with uh, an article in in the Independent, is that right? Yes, uh, it was a tight turnaround, but I managed to get it out within <laughs> within managed to get it out there within twenty four hours, and uh, not as many people read it because people only click on things that they don't want to read. It turns out and that's how the internet works. Yeah. You, you you do hot takes for hate clicks, but I think a lot of people were happy to have that repost 
from from an expert, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I say, we're all about positivity here, Sam. So we're glad to have you on, you know, <laughs> defending Shrek. And uh, yeah, th- thank you for both uh, joining us again. Like I said, you know, we, we had fun both times. Uh, you know, there's some treasures that we've lost along the way, but we've still got the memories uh you know like a child in the maze of insanity (laughs) yeah we we can still go enjoy you know shrek's karaoke or far far away idol in which i think i mentioned the horrifying image of a cgi simon cowell (laughs) so there's that too but you know i'm sure we'll get a chance to talk about the the weird spin-offs and all of that in in the future so yeah thank you once again guys uh so yeah uh, kelly where where can we catch yourself yeah so i'm mostly active over on twitter at the minute so i'm at kelly lou bishop and we're talking all sorts of fun things at the minute i'm basically just replying to anyone and everyone it's great fun so much so that a lovely jason derulo meme popped up of him having his new son and niall who i don't know whether he's been on but he definitely writes for fresh take wrote that he um had named his son run tum rum tum tugger after his role in Cats, to which you just have to jump in and say that kid's going to be a curious cat. <laughs> yeah, Niall just uses any chance he can to put cats into to any you know tweet or <laughs> or pop culture reference, basically. Absolutely. So, yeah, uh, yeah. So go <laughs> go check out Twitter if you want to see a lot of that uh, madness, or just check out freshtakehub.com where you can see Kelly and Niall's. Uh, right in where they have got their hot takes such as Niall talking about uh, Mortal Kombat and uh, Kelly going through Promising Young Woman. Uh, Sam, uh, tell us all about where you can catch yourself in terms of uh, the stuff you've recently written and Disneyversity as well. So my podcast, which I do with Empire Magazine and Empire Podcasts, Ben Travis, is called Disneyversity. That's D-I-S-N-I-versity, Right. We had it spelled out both ways on the logo and we picked the one that looked most aesthetically pleasing. That's where we'll go through every Disney movie in order and talk about their history and their legacy and do a little bit of analysis. And, you know, considering how much students pay to attend my lectures in university, you're really getting it at a bargain price there. What else do I do? I tweet at Sam Summers Zero, Sam Summers and then the number zero on Twitter, obviously. And... At the minute, that's just, like, for the last few days and probably the next few days, that's just a hub for all the various Shrek stuff that I've been putting out this week. So you can find, like, my article for The Independent and other interviews that I've done tweeted out there and also information about upcoming Shrek projects uh, that I'm going to be a part of. And I'll probably start tweeting about other things very soon. I also tweet from the Disneyversity account with and the Disneyversity Instagram page with images and concept art and facts about those movies as we go through them. Yeah, so it was fun stuff. I, I, I still always enjoyed that one about, was it Saldos Amigos or one of those with like the image of Donald on the like women's dancer bodies? And I was just like, what is this film? I was like, I need to go back. Yeah, that's just... that's from that's from the three caballeros, it, yeah. one of the most underrated Disney movies of all times. So check that out on Disney Plus and then listen to our podcast about it. Yeah, it's, it's a great time. Yeah, and uh you can catch ourselves at Well Good Movies as well on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. You can catch us on our website, freshtakehub.com slash well good movies please let us know what you think of the shrek movies and any of the other dreamworks projects let us know 
uh, about the bee, bee movie, which we were talking about before. Would you marry a bee? Have you seen a bee and thought, yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't mind, you know, getting married to them. <laughs> what do you think about this entire Shrek discourse? Uh, Sam, I, I know you previously said as well that you've got like a Shrek uh, symposium and you're kind of hoping that this because this is the anniversary you, you'll put Shrek to bed but I don't know the way this stuff is going I'm not sure if you're ever going to escape it now. <laughs> yeah I think I think that the the discourse has given me another few years trapped in, in the maze of insanity <laughs> with Shrek. I've been thinking like I've done so well these last few weeks by being the world expert on a movie that happens to be having its 20th anniversary I'm just going to pick a movie that came out in like 2004 and spend the next three <laughs> years writing about nothing but that and then come that time i will be raking it in again you don't actually know this but you got trapped in that maze of insanity which is talking about shrek for all time and you never just left. left i'm still there yeah <laughs> the coronavirus was all just a maze of insanity dream uh anything lastly from yourself craig well, David wanted me to end the ri- episode originally by saying Shrek is love, but then Kelly and I had to explain to him what Shrek, in lo- uh, Shrek is love actually is. <laughs> and then he's just like, oh, I've been using this as a hashtag yeah. for all of our media. And I'm like, yeah, you might not want to have done that, David. <laughs> My naivety. <laughs> My eyes. Instead, I'm just going to go with... I mean, I ended the last one by saying uh, in the morning I'm making waffles. I actually did. Um I probably can't provinces do that again. So, bye everyone. Thank you for joining us, guys. Uh, we, uh, please do join us on our next episode and check out all the great stuff on Twitter. Like I said, uh, check out Disney University with Sam and his recent independent article as well. And check out all the stuff that we got from Kelly on our website. And we look forward to chatting with you on our next episode. Thanks again. See you later. Bye. 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 It's getting late. I'm going to go to bed soon uh, purely because in the morning I'm making waffles. Because somebody had to do it, right? Somebody just, you know, we'd not mentioned it the entire episode. Somebody had to do it. And it's mine. <laughs>